Thank you for tuning in to episode 15 of Ant and Big Red vs. the World. Uh, as always, I'm Big Red. And I'm Evan And I'm feeling a little bit under the weather, so you're going to have to bear with the uh, nasally voice and probably a sniffle here and there. Um, I'll, I'll do my best to keep it in check. Uh, I know you guys don't want to hear that nonsense. Um, <laughs> but, sick or not, we got a good episode for you today. Uh, it's a few interesting things that we're going to talk about that are kind of a little off the norm for us. Um, I know we're big on the MLB, NBA, and NFL, um, but this week we're diving into a couple other things, and we have our first ever kind of hybrid of one of our segments. So, Ant, you want to talk a little bit about what the episode's going to be like today? Yeah, so we got personally my favorite football league um, coming up which is the XFL and their um, launch, I guess I would say, in 2020 and their the locations of some of their teams. Um, one's coming close to us, which will be cool. Then we got the college football playoff and just kind of what we think about that. Um, spoiler alert, we both don't really like it at all. <laughs> so um, make sure to stay, stay, stay listening for that. And our hybrid, of course, is... So it hits a little close to home. Uh, UW alum, Markel Fultz, finally getting a diagnosis, but we'll get into that um, when we get there. All right. And so like we said, uh, it's a good episode. I'm more excited to get into it. And so we're going to get it going uh, right into the XFL. Uh, Ant mentioned it. It's one of his favorite football league, um, probably because it's owned and founded by WWE's Vince McMahon. Uh Originally debuted in 2001 with a joint venture with NBC and WWE. Um, if you are old enough or looked at all, um, it flopped after about one season as a basically just a violent, more wild, less talented version of the NFL, and and it was done after one season. Um, but after an ESPN 30 for 30 in 2017, uh, a lot of hype and interest in the XFL was kind of stirred back up, and what do you know, McMahon's getting ready to launch it once again in 2020. Um, unlike the first time, he's putting a little more preparation into it and and really trying to make it stick, as as obviously noted by the 2020 debut. I mean, he's they're taking time and going to try and make it as good as it can be. Um, one specific way that they're doing that is hiring a lot of people close to the NFL. Uh, the newly hired commissioner is Oliver Luck, who's very respected in the NFL community. Uh, there's also consultants, or a few names that you might know, as uh, John Fox and Jim Caldwell, both former NFL coaches. Uh, so definitely a new era of the XFL. Um, obviously, it's going to be a different kind of emphasis and hopefully, or at least McMahon is hoping that it's something that sticks and creates some popularity as it will be in direct competition with the NFL. Uh, so what, do you, what are your thoughts at first glance there, Ant? Yeah, so I guess if we're being real, it really flopped after the first game. <laughs> the, the, the original XFL had really good ratings the first game, but then once everybody realized that it was trying to be like an extreme NFL with, like you said, less talented players, they weren't interested anymore. But um, like you're like you were touching on, it's 
set up. It's set up to be different this time. Um, they have a big emphasis on being family friendly now, and uh, they're huge on player safety, which they weren't. <laughs> it's like they didn't care at all about player safety in their in the original launch, and um, where they went wrong the first time is obviously like you said they rushed they rushed into it they really had no idea what they were doing because they're really just trying to capitalize on the popularity of the attitude era in the wwe which explains why it was trying to be the extreme league and like you could see that with the team names that they had at the time like they had the hitman the rage the outlaws stuff like that this one one guy had he hate me on the back of his jersey <laughs> Like, I don't know if that was his birth name or what what that was about, but um, they're moving away from that. I mean, they don't have any team names released yet, but if I had to bet on it, I would bet that maybe they keep maybe like the Outlaws or something like that, but they're definitely going to move towards more, um, like, I guess, standard type of team names. Um, like, they're... The XFL that we're going to get is more like Madden. is going to be more like Madden and less like Blitz League. Um, so that's something to look forward to. And something that was, well, obviously we touched on it in the intro. We are getting one close to us, which is Seattle. And um, this is something that was like interesting to me because all the teams that have been announced, um, there's eight teams, and they're, they're all already in cities where there's already a professional football team. I thought that was kind of weird. Um, considering, like, I'm, I'm assuming they're not going to get as big of crowds as the NFL gets, so I don't know why they're trying to use NFL stadiums. And that's probably the one good thing about the original XFL launch, is that they had teams in cities like Birmingham, Las Vegas, and Memphis. I mean, that's something that I would like to see, like, in Portland or, like, North Carolina or something like that. And they could just use a college or, um professional soccer team or something like that stadium which would be cheaper for them it would look better for them because there's less seats and it would look more full because there's less seats and um like it would just give cities that don't usually get to see a professional brand of football I guess I would say an opportunity to see that so I think that would have been that's probably the one part where they've missed but everything else that I've seen looks like it's going in the right direction and um, it's obviously not going to overtake the NFL because the talent pool is still going to be um, lesser. But it'll be at least a little better than what we got in 2001. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I'm a WWE fan. It, it's gonna, it's, it's gonna be cool. At least the first, at least we know for sure the first game is gonna have good ratings based on the track, <laughs> yeah. track records. So, <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, no, so. Uh, you mentioned the different cities. Uh, so St. Louis is actually one one of the cities that they don't have uh, a yeah. football team. Um, but still, that's one in eight. Uh, and so, I, I get where you're coming from. In the past, or in 2001, it was like you said, Birmingham. There was Las Vegas, um, Memphis, uh, teams or cities that didn't have football teams. And I mean, the the fact of the matter is, really, when you think about that, though, is that 2001 was just a complete failure. Whether or not they had football teams in those cities or not, it, it wasn't going to work. Um, and so as you move forward to this new 2020 debut, 
obviously the emphasis is different. It's player safety. They don't want it to just be absolute violence. You go from like a gladiator type interest that I think the that McMahon wanted to play on was like, hey, people love football because it's violent. Let's make it even more violent. Uh, to now where everyone's worried about concussions and player safety and things like that. And so I think McMahon's kind of seeing he almost I think he almost wants to like piggyback off the NFL uh, in a way. And, and you can see that in the fact that he's going to all these cities that already have NFL infrastructure. St. Louis had a team a couple years ago, so it's still kind of there. Uh, there's developed football fan bases in these cities. And if you create an NFL or not an NFL, if you create your XFL, with the NFL at least somewhat in mind, which he is because he's using former coaches, former GMs. Uh, he has a former, his, the commissioners directly related to the NFL. And so with that in mind, I think McMahon's almost trying to take the XFL and look at the things that people are irritated and don't like about the NFL and put it in the XFL. So people that are irritated with things in the NFL, like, uh, players with criminal histories seeming to get chance after chance after chance. That's not going to happen in the XFL. The XFL has already come out and said they are going to avoid players with criminal records. So that's one way that they're going to combat all the negative light on the NFL, most notably in domestic violence. Kareem Hunt's a perfect example just came up. Um, a lot of people think he's going to be right back in the league in a year, uh, which is something that the XFL wouldn't do player safety the nfl's getting a ton of flack for concussions and things like that they don't that they don't really care about player safety they just care about their revenue and money and so it's i, I like what mcmahon's doing I, i'm not sure how successful the xfl is going to be i do have a little bit of worries like you do with them being in those cities where you're no no chance an xfl team is going to overtake the seahawks N as good as the Rams are, no XFL team's going to take them over in L.A. Uh, th things like that, it's, it's probably not going to overcome it, but I don't think you should view it like that because the XFL, nothing's going to overcome the NFL right now as successful as it is uh, in, until it kind of implodes on itself or however many years down the line football's just over because the NFL is so huge right now. It, there's nothing you can do. It's like comparing the NBA and WNBA. The, the WNBA is not going to catch the NBA It's because it's huge. It already has this massive fan base and is stabilized. And when you think of professional football, you're always going to think of the NFL. And, and so from that, I like what McMahon's trying to do with the XFL and create a safer uh, alternative version to the NFL, but he's not going to catch it. We know that. Uh, it's in spring, though, and so that's another thing. It, it's about the first game start on February 8th and 9th, which is about one week after the Super Bowl, and so this is where I think that being in these NFL cities can actually pay off for the XFL. You start games a week after the Super Bowl, there's still a lot of hungry football fans in these cities, especially if your team's not in the Super Bowl. Now, if your team wins the Super Bowl, you go to the Super Bowl, you probably don't care one bit about the XFL. If the Rams win the Super Bowl this year, n nobody cares. Nobody cares about the XFL starting in a week. Uh, but there's other teams. Like, like I know Seattle. I know I'm going to go to an XFL game. I, whether or not I think it's going to be successful or not, it's going to be cool. It'll be cool to see 
football continuing on after the NFL is over. I'm assuming tickets are going to be cheaper. If I have to pay $300 for nosebleed seats like I would to go see a Seahawks (laughs) game, sorry, I'm not going to an XFL game. But it it should be less expensive than the NFL, and it's football basically year-round now. And I know there's a ton of football fans in each one of these cities that want to keep seeing football. and, And there's people that are out there that are in this just dearth of things to do when the football season's over. I mean, we don't really have that because we like most all sports, but some people aren't like that. And so having the XFL in these NFL cities, I think could create at least a minor fan base to begin with and foundation to begin with of football. So I, I don't, like I said, I don't think they're going to overtake the NFL teams by any means. It would be really cool to see football teams in these cities that don't have football, like Portland. I really like that idea. Um, But I think starting in these NFL cities builds that foundation. And if the XFL goes beyond a season, I see no reason why expansion couldn't start to happen in these other cities. Yeah, I mean, I could see expansion. I I definitely feel that if they do have... Um, a good amount of success. I do feel like if they end up expanding, it would be to like a Portland or a North Carolina or something like that. Um, well, I guess they do have the Panthers over there, but um, that's besides the point. <laughs> um, but yeah, the XFL, it's it's less based on wrestling and where the current state of wrestling is, even though um, WWE is in a PG era where... Um, they are family friendly and all that, but it's more of, it's they're trying to be an actual football league instead yeah. of um, a type of wrestling football hybrid, which is easily the biggest reason why it flopped. <laughs> and yeah, like you said, I mean, there's there's gonna be people that want to go, especially the tickets. I mean, I would be flabbergasted if they're anywhere remotely close to a <laughs> NFL. It better um, not be ticket prices i mean but at the very least like people are going to want to watch it on tv or whatever type of network deal they have i mean it was do you know if um nbc is still partnering uh, it with them or so no? that that's the thing that's they're not there yet uh the things in the works are the the tv deal is like it's probably the next step i mean they've announced the league they've announced the cities that is the next step is they're going to try and form a tv deal uh as of right now it's yeah. not nbc yeah, well, I guess, I mean, like, worst-case scenario, they'll probably, like, do some Ball in the Family some stuff like that and have it on YouTube. I mean, I'm assuming 100% sure it will be on WWE Network, which is, um, I already have that, so, I mean, I'll be I'll be good there. I got the XFL Sunday ticket. <laughs> um, but, some like, the most interesting, or I guess obviously not the most interesting, but something that's really interesting to me is some of the rule changes that they're coming out with. Um, my favorite, or I guess it's a tie for my, for my favorite between anybody that's, um, behind the line of scrimmage is an eligible receiver, including offensive linemen, obviously. And, um, fair catches aren't honored, but you have to give the returner, I think it was five yards of space. Um, once he catches the ball, like once he catches the ball, then you could do whatever, but you have to at least give him five five yards of space or something like that for him to catch it. That'll be weird. And then run. And one that was super weird that, like, I, had, I have no idea, like, why this is 
a rule. Um, the, on the kickoff, the kicking team and the receiving team will start five yards um, away from each other. And then they'll kick it. I'm assuming they'll have a returner in the back, in like the backfield, but they'll kick it. And the the receiving and kicking team won't be allowed to like, I guess like run like block or try to get the receiver the ball or anything until the receiver um, gets it. So I mean that's something super interesting. I don't know how really that's gonna play out. I mean, like it'll probably make for longer returns, I guess. Yeah. But, Bigger, bigger um, plays. Yeah, it's kind of just, it's more of like a punt, like a punt kind of setup. Yeah. But you have to wait until the receiver catches the ball, which is, um, I just thought that was super weird. Um, I mean, it'll be weird to see, and I guess I didn't see anything on the opening, because in uh, 2001, instead of a coin flip, they would, like, throw the football out, and two people on a, on the opposing teams would, like, pretty much fight to the death for the ball see who gets <laughs> the ball first so um i'm assuming since you're going towards um family friendly they'll get rid of that i mean i did see when they first announced that the xfl was coming out that they weren't going to get rid of that but i mean if they really want to be family friendly and big on player safety and rival or not rival but kind of copy and paste the nfl then i would assume they would get rid of that yeah uh i I would be surprised if that sticks around. Um, the The rule changes I wasn't super versed on, um, but I know that the emphasis in the new XFL, at least on gameplay, is they want faster games, faster, more exciting, bigger yeah, plays, yeah. They less, have, um, less stoppages. A shorter play clock, yeah. Yeah, and so that, at least to a degree, with that, at least that kickoff format there's less likelihood of like holds and blocks in the back and penalties and things like that. And it's going to create bigger returns, which would give you better field position, which means shorter fields for the offense, which means quicker scoring and more points. And so aside from them, maybe keeping the brawl for the ball at the beginning, um, those, the rule changes kind of follow that mold where they're trying to create a faster, um, safer NFL to a degree because the kickoff and punt teams won't have full speed head starts getting yeah. ready to blow these guys up. Especially if, if you get a guy that can punt it with good hang time, uh, you're going to be chopping your feet five yards from the guy. So, I mean, I guess you'll probably see more like squib kicks and things like that um, so that these returners get the balls faster so their guys can actually go down and make plays yeah i mean it's it's gonna be it's gonna be something interesting at least the first game at the very least is gonna be super highly viewed i mean i don't i don't anticipate the xfl um crumbling like it did the first run i mean i'm not saying it's gonna be um the nfl's little brother or anything and last all these years and stuff, but it's, I feel like it'll definitely get at least three seasons, so, I mean, it's something, it's an alternative football thing, um, I mean, it's just something cool to look out for. Yeah, definitely something to look forward to, I mean, it'll probably create a less, it'll, I think there'll be more talent this time around, just because yeah, it, yeah. it trying to base off the infrastructure of the NFL, it's going to be less of entertainment and more of football. Um, yeah, 
and so that will probably draw at least a few more guys that can't quite make it in the NFL um, to the XFL, which will create more talent. So, like, like you said, it's definitely something to look forward to. We, no way, no real way to predict how it's gonna, how successful it's gonna be, but um, I, I could, I definitely see it sticking around a little bit longer than the first go round, um, for sure. Yeah, so from one um, previously failed football league to one <clears throat> that is failing in many people's eyes, which is um, the college football, um, specifically college football playoff, and <clears throat> the format, the committee, the selection, everything about it, um, it's all pretty bad. much, that's, that's the intro. So. <laughs> <laughs> college football playoffs are bad, okay? Uh yeah, no, I, so currently it's a four-team playoff format. Um, I guess the best thing, I, this is really going to be a bash sesh for me. Um, yeah, same. Uh, the best thing I can say about it is at least it's better than bowl games. Um, I, y- You outgrew the old BCS bowl format to get to this trial run playoff format that's it's somewhat of a playoff, but I honestly, you can't even call it a playoff because in order for it to be a playoff, every single team has to have equal opportunity to get to the playoffs. And that's just not the way this is. I, I can immediately name one example. UCF, 25 wins in a row, haven't even sniffed the playoffs. I, yeah, well, that's because you got to go three. You got to go three years undefeated if you're <laughs> if you're an independent, I guess. If you're so, not, if you're not in a Power Five conference, I, that unless you're Notre Dame. Yeah, no, well, Notre Dame is independent. I, that's another. This is just like like I said. There's yeah. so much. Um, so I'm just gonna kind of go through like what I'm feeling are like some of the biggest problems with the college football playoffs. Uh, first and foremost, it's. It's the selection is chosen based off a flawed system of opinions and bias. Uh, it's the college football playoff committee is made up of essentially mostly former coaches and or current coaches and ads of Power Five conferences. So essentially, if you're not in a Power Five conference, good luck getting into the college football playoffs unless you played a bunch of tough teams out of conference. Um, even then, if you're not Alabama, you still have a tough time. Uh, and so it's, it's just a very flawed system where do we know, is it the best teams? Is it the most deserving teams or is it the most popular teams? Does a 50 point win mean that you're a dominant team or does it mean that you had bad competition? Uh, what, what, what's more important, a harder schedule or an undefeated record? Um, obviously in the committee's eyes, if you're not in a Power 5 conference, it's a harder schedule, or quote-unquote harder schedule. Um, so I guess my fir- my first biggest issue is just the way it's selected is, it's terrible. Yeah, I mean, building off of what you just said, um, the biggest question about the committee selection process is, is it the best four teams, the most deserving four teams, or the best four teams that won a conference title? Because... Um, you can pick it like you can pick and choose what years where they went with. You have to win a conference title, or they went with quote the most deserving, or quote the best four teams. And I mean, when it comes to most deserving and best four teams, I mean that's definitely where all that bias and stuff comes in. Um, and I guess here's my initial 
bash on it is four teams get in, but there's five power conferences, and there's also the independents and then the smaller conferences. So, um, like, that's just, that just, like, there's, someone's bound to get left out when um, it's set up like that. Yeah, like, like you just mentioned, UCF, they've been undefeated for two years. I mean, obviously last year, I can understand why they didn't get in, but this year I felt like they definitely deserved at least an opportunity. Something. I mean, if they get if they get blown out, then we learned our lesson. But I mean, they beat um, they played Auburn last year in the bowl game, right? Yeah. And they beat Auburn, so I mean, Auburn's Auburn's no joke. They they're good. They're a good team. They Auburn and they, they beat, beat them Alabama in the bowl game last year, did they not? So. No, uh, no, I don't think so. Well, uh, who did Alabama? They wanted to. They want. They were. Um, I'm pretty sure Auburn campaigning for that. I'm pretty sure Auburn beat Alabama because Alabama didn't go to the conference championship. Or somebody, somebody. Who beat Auburn? Alabama. Are you saying Auburn beat Alabama? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I think they did. I thought you were talking UCF. Oh no, no, yeah. Dude, yeah, if yeah. UCF beat Alabama, yeah. this would be absurd. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. No, yeah. Well, I get. So I guess that's my initial thing before we talk about what really needs to be fixed is um, the college football playoff um, screwed up without setting criteria with what it takes to get in. Objective criteria. Since they have no criteria, it's biased. There's, it's just a headache, pretty much. It it really is, and and I will build off that. I love that you said that. It's it's not a playoff if there's not objective criteria and not every team has an equal chance. I don't understand what Division One football is doing. FCS has a 24-team playoff. D2 has a 28-team playoff. D3 has a 32-team playoff. In high school football, basically all you have to do is have a 500 record to get into the playoffs. I, why can't Division One football create a better playoff format? Is, is these college football rankings that loved by everyone maybe they were 30 years ago i i so it's 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 ridiculous to me and and building off that objective criteria thing that you were saying it's we really have no idea what the requirements are we can pretty much assure that you have to be a part of a power five conference if you're not sorry ucf you're not getting in unless Um, you're notre dame unless you're notre dame unless you're notre dame uh, which which is true. They're, they're an independent. I'll say something on that in a minute. Um, so for the most part, you have to be in a Power 5 conference. You have to pass the eye test of the playoff committee, which means blowing out bad teams and beating good teams, having a tough schedule. Uh, in years past, or I guess in the first few years of the college football playoffs, it was pretty much you had to win your conference or else you weren't going to mm-hmm. get in. Um, that's what kept Ohio State out a few years ago. Uh, yeah. and then oh, and then Alabama. And, oh man, Alabama lost yeah. <laughs> and didn't make it to the championship or the conference finals. Uh, and so everyone was like, "Oh man, well, this is what kept Ohio State out." You know, this is why they didn't get in. Uh, we can't really give it to. Nope. Let's forget all that. Out the window. It's Alabama. Alabama gets in. Uh, didn't even play in their conference title game. Um, Strength of schedule ranked behind Ohio State and Penn State, but they're Alabama, and and I I understand you're all gonna you you can all point and say well Alabama won, Al- Alabama was the best team were they not? Okay, fair. But how did they get in? They got in because that 
biased playoff committee said, oh, man, it's going to look bad if Alabama's not in there. You know, Alabama's who people want to see. That's going to get us the most money and views. And, and that's ridiculous in a playoff format. These college football playoff spots award so millions of dollars to your program and school. And to have it decided by a group of people that are clearly biased is ridiculous. And there's absolutely no criteria, no set in stone criteria at all. When Ohio State, Penn State couldn't get in because they didn't win, Baylor and uh, TCU couldn't get in in 2014 because they didn't win their title game. Alabama can, because Alabama is they're the they're the big powerhouse. Um, and again, they won, so obviously you can point and say the right call was made. But how? I, what are you basing this right call off? And it's nothing. And that's that's the biggest ridiculous thing about the college football playoffs is nobody really knows what what it is. It, it's just. The, the 25 rankings don't mean a ton because they just want to get whoever's in the playoffs, whoever they think is going to be the most highly rated TV and popular in the playoffs. Uh, it's not the best teams. It's not the best records. It's not who wins their conference, who wins their games the best. It's who the playoff committee feels like is going to be the most fun to watch. And while that's great, it's not really any different than a bowl game scenario except for you call except for you put the playoff label on it um and so i mean all around it's bad right now it's bad and i i guess from there we can get into you can start off with what uh, maybe a solution or two that you think changes need to happen to make it a, at least in my opinion a real playoff i don't i don't care if it's more exciting or not I just I want it to be a real playoff where every team has almost equal opportunity to make it. I know there's a lot of football teams, but it's got to be a real playoff to me. Yeah, so I guess um, before we really get on that, um, I just pulled up the selection committee. Um, the Ohio State athletic director is on the committee. The Oklahoma athletic director is on the committee. And everybody like that's on the committee has a tie to a school in one way or another, like USC Florida, Oregon. Yeah, the like, chairman. They all have, the chairman is the yeah. Oregon athletic director. Yeah, they all they all have ties to one college or another that are a big time school and have been in the playoff at one time or another. So I think that's like for it to be as unbiased as it should be. Um, you can't have anybody like you should have maybe NFL people or so. I don't know, but you need to not have. Um, members that have ties to um, those schools like that. And I guess that leads us to what needs to be fixed. I mean, the last, I mean, excluding the first year where Alabama lost to Ohio State, um, the first two teams um, were definitely picked really well. So, I mean, if they want to just eliminate the playoff altogether and go back to two teams, I think that would be better and less of a mess than what it is now with four teams because a lot of the, um, commotion and complaining is really about who's three and four because the last what like two three years it's been Alabama and Clemson so and they played in back-to-back -back national championship games and those were probably the best two national championship games we've had in a while so I mean 
if you want to just eliminate this whole playoff thing altogether, go back to two teams, I'm fine with that. Because more times than not, they get it right. I mean, the only time I could really remember that um, they got it really wrong was, of course, Notre Dame when they played Alabama <laughs> and got blown out. So, I mean, I don't know what this um, what this love is for Notre Dame <laughs> with um, them getting in or whatever. But um, I guess in terms of expanding it, um, it should be either expanded to six or eight teams. I mean, sixteen anything more than eight is way too much. Um, like expanding it to six teams. I mean, like you said, the FCS has like twenty four or something like that. Yeah. Um, that's real. Like the twenty fourth best team in the FCS has a realistic shot of winning um, because the talent gap isn't as big as it is in D one, where uh, a Virginia, WSU, or Kentucky really has no chance at all, despite major injuries to multiple players on the the Alabama football team. They really have no chance at all at beating in Alabama. So, I mean, that's where I think... I think six, six teams is probably the best solution. Um, And maybe having a set of criteria in terms of you have to win a conference title or if you're an independent, your your strength of schedule has to be ranked X, like whatever high has to be ranked for you to get in. And I mean, that way there's room for all five power conferences and an independent or a um, small conference team to get in. And that, and then you could have the top two teams get a bye. And then um, it goes back to like the four or whatever. And so that's probably what I would like to go with personally. I mean, I would like the eight. The eight would be interesting, I guess. I mean, but what realistic shot does any eight-ranked team have <laughs> winning a championship, really. Um, like, the only time I really thought that a six-ranked team had a shot was, I think, when TCU or Baylor got left out. Yeah. Um, they had legitimate shots. But other than that, I mean, six six is good. Eight is stretching it a little bit. But, I mean, I wouldn't be mad if it was eight because it still allows for six teams. And, I mean, at the end of the day, there really is only – at the most six teams that has that have a realistic shot, especially in today's Alabama's dynasty age, where uh, Alabama is either in the national championship and winning, or in the national championship and losing. So, I mean, that's what I would like to see it go to. Yeah, uh, I know. I, 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 I mean, and at least six would be better. At least six would be yeah. better than four. I, I, I will, I will disagree. I mean, it's 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 like a half disagreement because like I would accept six because it's at least it's better. Um, I would like to see eight though. I would like to see an eight-team playoff, and whether or not that eight-seeded team has a chance to win or not isn't really that's not really what matters. I, Alabama is an Alabama dynasty mode. They're arguably the best football team every single year. Um, but whether the eight seed has a has a realistic chance or not doesn't really matter. You look at like the NFL. Do you, does your six seeded wild card? Do they really have a shot every year? Uh, it's happened. Yeah. Um, but they they don't. You don't. You wouldn't look the six seed this year or end up being like the Colts or the Titans or something in the AFC. Are they going to beat the Chiefs? Probably not. Um, well, this the Chiefs. Okay, yes, the, Chief, the Chiefs coach. They're a choke. But I, the Titans, 
And, yeah, God, I don't even want to talk about the, the Titans. Ti- the, the Titans <laughs> beat the Chiefs last year. Yeah, Alex Smith, dude. That's all I gotta say. Um, but that, but anyway, my point is, whether or not how realistic a chance that lowest seed has isn't what's important. It's it, it's the fact that they're in it, and they can make it. And so I think that an eight-team playoff is is what needs to happen with specific criteria. And so I think you you obviously need to find a way to feed the playoff committee's ego and these guys' egos and things so they can still have input. Um, but I don't think it should be that much. I think that these things should be decided based on conference championships. Uh, guaranteed spots. So six, six with this eight-team playoff, I'd say you have six guaranteed spots. The Pac-12 champ, the Big 12 champ, the ACC champ, the SEC champ, and the G5, and the Big 10. Those each get a playoff spot. And then you have your last two where the committee can decide on basically off that same playoff committee ranking so we can appease the egos of these and and make sure that these conference champion teams whether or not they so we can make sure we still have an area for a team like uh, Notre Dame that can't win a championship uh, as an independent or an Alabama if Auburn goes on to win their conference you know uh, like happened last year so that way you can still get these teams in if there's a loaded conference and there's two teams that should be in but at least there's a specific guidelines for that top six this would allow a UCF to get in um, and show whether or not they actually are the conf- the national champions that they believe they are um, in order to do this I think you'd have to get rid of FCS interplay games um, first of all nobody Aside yeah. from no. aside from the rarest of upsets, who wants to see a power football team or power conference football team just destroy an FCS team by 50 points? Great. What does that tell us? That tells us their strength of schedule is weak. Uh, or if you're Alabama, it tells you that they're a really great football team. Uh, we talked about that earlier. Uh, you have to get away with those. Or, or, or one... I, you just you can't. There's no reason that they're here anyway, other than these programs like to get confidence boosters and destroy teams. Um, it's stupid, and you'd have to get rid of that so this can be an even playoff. Uh, seeding could be based off the rankings to a degree. Uh, obviously, you'd have to put the seventh and eighth teams that don't win the conference championship as the seventh and eighth seed. But one through six could be off that playoff committee ranking and who you believe is your one through eight. Um, and so, I mean, from this, I, I, I guess I, like I said, a six playoff, a six team playoff would be at least better. Um, but I think an eight is, at least right now, it's the best, the best option. And I don't think it's that far fetched to just input a system like this, reward these teams for winning their conferences. I. It's yeah, yeah. That's that's probably the biggest thing, honestly. Yeah, and I, even if it stays four, um, which it shouldn't, and I'll still hate it. At least create some objective guidelines. Like this, the playoff committee cannot continue to decide who gets there based on who they like the most. It's just ridiculous, and I, I think a sixteen-team playoff is a little far-fetched. Um, I mean, if you yeah. expanded to eight or six and it went really well, maybe you could get to 16. But like you said, there is a there is a gap. 
you, you go through the top 12 of the rankings maybe and you can kind of decide okay yeah those are the upper echelon of college football teams below that you see teams bouncing in and out of the top 25 all the time and you can go from sucking in the beginning of the year to finishing strong and then being ranked like 20th or below and it, and it's and you look at that team and you're like okay I do I really feel like you have any shot to beat any of these top 12 teams not really unless you're at home and a few things happen uh, and so I agree with you in that regard that in Division One there is a big talent gap and you can't quite expand as large as say D2 at 28 or uh, FCS at 24 but I, I think an eight team is is doable and I, I think that it's something that should be implemented yeah I mean if we went six this year um, the five and six teams are Georgia and Ohio State and I mean even though Georgia chokes every game they play away um, they still hang in there I mean they lost a close one Alabama like they said they choked it away they were in the national championship last year they choked it away but um they they have a realistic chance at at least getting to the championship i mean winning it is a whole another animal with teams from atlanta or um georgia they tend to choke a lot but um ohio state at number six they like after seeing what they did to michigan i would say they have a legit shot at winning too and i mean expanding it to eight teams then i would have michigan at seven and ucf at eight and I mean, I don't. After seeing Michigan, they they're kind of sus. So I wouldn't necessarily say they have the best chance at winning. But I mean, um, UCF giving them the benefit of the doubt. Um, I feel like I would say they have a sh- chance at winning just out of respect for what they've done in the last two years. Yeah. But after that, it falls off. Like UW is number nine. Florida with three losses at, is ten. So I mean, after eight, it falls off. So I mean, eight is the very max. I would say. Um, which is something I guess we pretty much agreed on. Like eight, at least this year specifically, eight teams have a realistic shot at winning, or at least getting there, and losing to Alabama. So yeah, I mean, like six, six or eight. I don't, I don't really care. Just expand it to six or eight. <laughs> something. Don't keep it at four or yeah. condense it to two. <laughs> I change it. It's it's got to be changed. Uh, at least we can agree on that. Um, I guess we'll. Uh, you got anything else on it? Nah, I guess um, we'll move into our first ever honorable mention and Big Red Bust hybrid topic, which is, of course, you double up, like we said in the intro, Markel Fultz and his um, injured, quote-unquote, injured shoulder. He, f- after more, more than a year, longer than a year, he finally got a diagnosis for it, which is TOS. Um, I'm not going to bother trying to butcher it. Um, but just a quick thing, it pretty much makes it impossible for you to lift your arm above your head and shoot a basketball. So I guess that kind of explains if it's, if he actually has it, it explains why he hasn't been able to shoot. So, I mean, I'll let you take it from here. You, you have a little more knowledge on the, uh, TOS injury. Yeah. Uh, shout out sports medicine back in the day in high school, um, thoracic outlet syndrome. Um, it, kind of like you said if it is real it does explain it um it's it's an injury that is typically diagnosed it's one in 200,000 basically it's a rare injury it's typically diagnosed when you're very young um essentially it's a condition in which your nerves compress the arteries and veins in the passageway from your lower neck 
to your armpit, basically, and it, it causes, like, numbness and, and weakness and fatigue in your arm and hand, and so I, I, it, I don't want to say it's not real um, by any means, but that's kind of how a lot of, like, some media outlets are viewing it. I, I, I know I saw several articles that were basically, like, Markel Fultz finally gets a doctor to diagnose a real injury. Um, and so thoracic outlet syndrome, if it, if he does have it, which is entirely possible, it would completely explain how this 41% shooter in college, who everyone, the number one pick, um, and everyone was like, wow, Fultz is going to be legit, suddenly forgets how to shoot, and he spent the entire time claiming it's not the yips, it's, it's not mental, it's an injury, but nobody could say what exactly the injury is. Um, and so if it is thoracic outlet syndrome, then, yeah, the dude's got nerve pain and weakness all through his entire arm. How are you supposed to shoot like that? Um, so, yeah, that's just my little background on thoracic outlet. Um, you, you can keep on keep on trucking. Yeah, so um, he's going to be out three to six weeks, I guess. Um, it's fixed with supposedly fixed with physical therapy, so... Um, in extreme cases, I guess it's surgery, but more than likely it's just going to be some physical therapy. But that's the injury itself is kind of less what I wanted to get into, and more of that the fact that this is probably the weirdest, most mysterious injury I've ever seen, or injury development, whatever you want to call it, I've ever seen throughout any sport. Um, and what's a theory that's really come up recently um, that I guess it's caught in steam recently, it's been around since he first was injured, is that he was in a motorcycle accident, and that everybody's trying to cover it up and stuff like that, and that's kind of a train I'm on. I'm, I kind of want to say, I want to get on that train and say that Marco Fultz was in a motorcycle accident, and covered it up, his agent covered it up, because obviously it's in your contract as an NBA player to not be riding motorcycles and stuff like that. Yeah. So um, I'm on that train. Um, something, Another theory that's super interesting that um, I didn't look too deep into yet, but um, will be in the near future, is that the 76er medical staff is doing experiments on their players and trying a bunch of crazy methods to make them better athletes. And um, this is like... This really comes from Ben Simmons and Embiid and Fultz sitting out a year, and Ben Simmons and Embiid being the success stories of these tests and methods, while um, Marco Fultz, Joe Hill Okafor, and um, possibly Zaire Smith, because um, he was their draft pick this year and he's likely out for the season, <laughs> that they've, they're the fails of, of these experiments. And I mean, like... It's kind of, it's, it's sus, obviously. It doesn't really have any backing. It's just super interesting. Um, something that really adds the feel to the fire is that Zero Smith has lost 20 pounds in the 76er medical care center, whatever, because um, he was in there because he broke his foot. And he's lost 20 pounds from eating the food in there. Jeez. So, yeah, that's kind of, that, that, that raises some questions. And I mean, um, like part of me kind of wants, kind of wants this to be true because if it's not true, then the 76er medical staff has no idea what they're doing. And I have no idea why they have their jobs. Because they've, it's been this way since 2014, 
probably a little sooner than that, that they don't really know how to get their players right. They were just going to send them out there and play through it and hope that it eventually got better. They couldn't diagnose anything. They didn't re try to rehab him or anything. They just sent him out there to practice and play basketball, which is really a bad look for them because you shouldn't do that to someone that's injured. Just send him out there. Yeah, and 100%. I mean, it's kind of scary when you think about it. It's it's these, these things going to go this long without a diagnosis. I mean, if this is actually the diagnosis... That's actually a great thing for Fultz because, like you said, it could be healed with physical therapy. But, I mean, if the 76ers medical staff isn't doing kind of what you're saying and going in an unorthodox fashion to pump out these athletes at a better stage than when they got injured, um, if, if not, it's, it's like, what? yeah, what are you doing? Are, do you actually have a plan and method for these guys or are you just kind of winging it? And you got a little bit lucky with Simmons and Embiid, <clears throat> um, and so I mean, in in the bus, the true bus format, I it's it's actually a big win for Fultz if he really does have TOS um, yeah. because he can rehab it and come back and be healthy. Uh, but it might overall just be a bust for the Sixers medical staff and organization. Like, how are you handling these things? to constantly have your draft picks be out for a year, uh, at least. Yeah. I mean, either way, even if um, this is, if it is or isn't the actual diagnosis, it's still a bust, huge bust for the 76ers medical staff and organization as a whole. Um, it's, I don't know, dude. I'm just shaking my head. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I guess uh, big, that'll big take bust. us to... Um, my other honorable mentions, I guess I'll get those get those in. The sixth man of the year race is something that's heating up. It's something that's really interesting this year, which it really isn't met most of the years. That's um, usually just really one guy, maybe one or two guys in the race. But this year we have like six, like five or six guys in the race as of now, and that's super interesting. Um, we got D Rose balling out, JJ Barea who is um, speculated to be Rick Carlisle's best friend. <laughs> um, Julius Randle, who is, he's just a beast. DeMontis Sabonis. Um, Marcus Morris, which he's really came out of nowhere, really, with the Celtics um, crowded wing depth chart. He's, yeah. he's arguably been their best wing. So that's saying something, considering they have Jalen Brown. Well, I mean, Jalen Brown's been doo-doo this year, but um, Gordon Hayward and Jason Tatum. And then, um, of course, there's Lou Will. I mean, he's he hasn't really been performing well so far, but, I mean, it's only a matter of time, really, before he turns it around. And they all have a realistic case at winning it. So, I mean, it's going to be super interesting to watch. I mean, everybody wants to talk about the MVP. Um, rookie of the Year is already sewn up by Luka Doncic, so... I mean, six, six Man of the Year is probably going to be um, my favorite award race to watch. And I guess my second honorable mention is Russell Westbrook. Um, the Thunder were an honorable mention. Um, I wanted, it, was a, it was either last week or the week before, I don't remember, because they've been playing really good. But why I specifically single out Russell Westbrook is because his usage rating has been the lowest it's been since 2016. And if you know anything about Russ, you know his... 
critics, the bi the biggest thing they say is he can't win when he is trying to do all that he does. I mean, his usage rating, he has multiple seasons that are top 10 all time for usage rating. So, I mean, it's it's a good sign that he's backed off a little bit and it's kind of proving those critics right. And I mean, it's a good thing. Like <laughs> um, His usage rating is the lowest it's been since 2016. That's when the Thunder went and lost to the Warriors game seven in the Western Conference Finals. But I mean, I think I, def I definitely think this is true. I mean, the, lo the lower his usage rating is, the better the team is, and that's evident. I mean, their record is a little sus for teams that are over 500 and under 500 because they're undefeated. I think I want to say against teams that are under 500. But I mean, that's not really an indication considering like teams like the Rockets and stuff like that are on that under 500 type thing. So I mean. Shout out to Russ, I guess. Yeah, uh, a lot of exciting stuff in the NBA. I mean, we we didn't cover a ton besides Fultz this week. Uh, but, yeah, Russ has been balling out. Um, I think his efficiency has been a lot better this year, too, has it not? Um, no, not really. He's uh, still, I thought he was shooting It's, it's a probably better. a little bit better. I mean, his threes is still trash, but, yeah. I mean... Uh, but yeah, either way, I, and like I said, a tightly any any time a race is tightly contested, uh, six man especially, it's it's fun to watch because you, that's a lot of guys contributing off the bench for their teams, and and so definitely going to be a tight one. And six man usually comes down to like Eric Gordon and Lou Williams, um, but it's nice to see yeah. some new faces in there. Um, and yeah, uh, so I guess uh, I, I'm just going to go with my my one baller, um, just because. He 100% deserves it. Uh, best linebacker in the league, uh, Bobby Wagner. Uh, finally getting recognized. Got an NFC Defensive Player of the Week. And, man, did he really deserve it this week. He had a 98-yard pick six. He had a forced fumble and a recovered fumble. He had 12 tackles, a sack, and two pass defense. Uh, pass defense. So I, Bobby Wagner's an animal. He had an animal of a week against the 49ers. And it's really nothing new. Uh, Bobby Wagner, this is kind of where it's almost a bust on Pro Bowl voting for me, is Bobby Wagner's fourth in Pro Bowl voting. Uh, while, like, behind guys like Luke Keekley and them. However, he is the number one rated linebacker by Pro Football Focus at 94.9. Uh, Luke Keekley's at, like, a 92. Uh, Bobby Wagner is rated the best linebacker in coverage, pass rushing, tackling, and run defense. So I, I put a lot of stock in pro football focus and their grades um, on guys' ability. And so <laughs> Bobby Wagner is the best in basically every single category. And people still don't realize how good this dude is. I, I know he's tucked up in here in Seattle in the Northwest, and you don't see it. And he was hidden behind the Legion of Boom all these years. But Bobby Wagner's been legit since he came in the league with Russell Wilson. Uh, and now he's got the pro football focus backing to show it best linebacker in the league uh bobby wagner's big reds baller um and yeah i'm not even gonna get into my bus my other bus just because we kind of got into the Fultz thing so yeah that'll do it for me uh, yeah for sure bobby wagner is definitely a baller i mean it's hard to deny if you know anything about the guy he's a beast um it's kind of ludicrous to me that he that luke keekley well, i mean luke keekley has a name so i mean I guess it's kind of obvious he'll get more votes and stuff, but I mean, 
Whatever, dude. Bobby Wagner's the truth. He is, dog. He's balling out every week. I could put him on here all the time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that does it for us today. Uh, once again, thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, sickly Big Red signing off. Yeah, average Ant signing off as well. <laughs>